I want to declare some things about the nature of God. I want to declare some things about his character and who he is. I want to declare some things about the presence of God so that we understand the potential and the power of us entering the place of his presence. One, God is our Father. I want you to know that, that God is your Father. And there is no one on this earth, there is no one on this planet, there is no brother, there is no sister, there is no human father, there is no human mother that loves you how God loves you. I want to declare that he is not only your father, but the Bible tells us that he is a good father. And us who are evil by nature know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more, how much more, how much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to us? But I want you to understand this. It's not about the gift as in a blessing that I need from God. I'm talking about the goodness of his favor over us. The goodness of his promise that he has created for us to have. He is a good father. Here's another thing I feel to declare over us tonight. Not only is he your father, not only that he is good, you need to understand that God is for you. He is not against you. He is for you. He is for me. He is for his church. He is for the purposes over your life God is for you he is for you he's not against you God is our savior I want to declare he's not a savior he is the savior there is no one there's no doctor there's no parent there's no person in this world that can cover our saving the Bible tells us this, that our Savior was made. He was wrought for us on the cross. He saved us. He is your Savior. And because he is our Savior, then God is our only hope. I want to declare that. That God is our only hope. You're in here, and there's a lot of us, and there's many of us in here. But today, God isolates you. He singles you out. He sees you where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in the back of the church. It doesn't matter if you're in the front of the church. He sees you just where you are at. He is your Father. He is good. He is your Savior. God also is our healer. He's our healer. The word of God tells us that he is our healer. What is he, what is he our healer of? He's our healer over sickness and disease. Not just the disease of the physical body, but he's the healer over the spiritual man in us. The man that died because of the sin nature that came into the world through disobedience and sin thousands of years ago that condemned us to death. He is our healer. He's our healer of the sickness of our soul. But the Bible says this, that by his stripes, we are healed. And so I declare God to be your healer. If there's sickness, disease, if there's infirmity in your body, he is a healer. I declare he is a healer. I ask for the blood of Jesus to cover this place right now, Lord God. 
even without us laying hands, Lord God. It's in your presence, Lord God. It's by your presence. It's not by power. It's not by my might, but it's by your presence right now. Heal your son in Jesus' name. Heal your daughter in Jesus' name. I rebuke cancer in the name of Jesus. I rebuke sickness throughout the body. Father, touch them right now. Let someone walk out this building knowing that their hand of the Lord was over them. Heal their mind. Heal their spirit. Heal their disease. We Heal their depression. Heal their insomnia right now in Jesus' name. Heal their insecurity, the low self-esteem. We come against it in the name of Jesus. We rebuke torment right now. We rebuke suicidal thoughts in the name of Jesus. I speak worth. I speak worth. I speak worth over your life in Jesus' name. This is only in his presence. It's only in your presence, Lord. There's no point in coming to church if we don't come into your presence, Lord. There's no point in showing up if we don't go into your presence, Lord God. I don't want to do this anymore if it's not going to be for us not to be in your presence, Lord. It's for us to come to you. The reality is, is that he is not in our presence. It's not like we put a little seat out in the middle and bake cookies and had a bake sale so Jesus could show up and put balloons out in the parking lot. So that's, that's not the picture. He's not sitting in a little seat as we parade around him, dancing and putting on a show for him. He is bigger than that. He is bigger than that. He has put a seat for us in his presence to sit in. The Bible says that he has seated us in heavenly places. And so we, in fact, are in his mighty presence. Here's another declaration of his character. God is our deliverer. He's our deliverer from the bondage of our sin. He is, he is the deliverer from the bondages of our acts of sin, from our sin nature and from the practices of our sin. He is righteous and he is holy. And by grace, we are saved onto good works. And the grace that he gives us not only pardons us, but it empowers us over such sin, over the state of sin. As a matter of fact, his, resurre his resurrection opened the door for us to walk out of our graves. That was the true power of his resurrection. Not just for him to get out, but for us to get out, to walk out behind him as sons and daughters, that he paid the price for our sin on the cross. So as he walks out of the grave, over the power of sickness and death and disease and over uh, human sin nature, as he walks out of the grave, is for us to walk out behind him. He wants, to, he wants to free us from our sin. What is your sin? What is your weakness? What is the frailty of your sin nature? What is the disease of sin that, you, that we struggle with daily, mentally, and in action? He's our deliverer. There's no bondage that's too strong for him. If we would truly surrender and submit it over to him and say, God, I am weak. God, I struggle, Lord God. God, I disappoint you. Say, God, here it is. You know my heart. Remember a testimony from someone close to me that shared. They would come to the altar and they would pray and say, God, I know when I get up from this altar, I'm going to go right back out there and continue doing what I was doing. But please do not let your mercy and your grace end for me. Today, I tell you, God has, has saw that person because he was the deliverer. He was the salvation. He is your salvation. He is your deliverer. And as his grace flows over us, he supplies his strength over sin. And the last thing, so he is the God of presence. 
He's the God of presence. He's the God of presence. We said this a couple of weeks ago. God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere at all times. This is a biblical theological truth that we believe as the body of Christ, that God is everywhere because of what scripture shows us. That's why we believe that. But we also know that God's presence doesn't just rest anywhere. We have to create the time. We have to create the space. We have to have the intention to dwell in that presence. And so it's more than just coming to church because we don't want to be here and not be here. We don't want to be here and then miss it. We don't want to be here and then go out the same. If God's our father, if he's good, if he's our salvation, if he's our healer, if he's our deliverer, if he's the God of presence, there's no way that we should leave here the same exact way that we came in here. I would say if that's, if, if that's how we leave, there's that, if, if we leave that way, it's not because God was not able. If we leave that way, it's not because God was not powerful enough. It just means that I missed the power of his presence. Now, let me tell you this. I love all of you. I'll be honest, I love some of you more than others. And the reason why I say that is because I do love my wife more than I love you. And, I, and, I, and I'm called to love my children more than I love you. So that's what I mean. When I say I love some of you more than, that's okay. Some of you love someone else more than me. We need to have the love and I need to like you because you're God's creation. And, but here's, here it is. This is, we did not come here for one another's presence. I love that we, we show up and you're here. I love that we, we all showed up and we, we can then be healed together. We can all learn that God's our father together and learn that he's our deliverer together. That, that's the bonuses. That's, that's, the, that's the added on blessing. That's the favor. Hear me. That is the favor of communion. But still, we did not come here for each other. We came here for really one person and one person only. I came here for God. I came here for his presence. And if, if we find each other, if I find you and you find me, but we didn't find God, then I'm telling you we're going to leave here the same way. So let this be about God's presence, not just in this moment, but every time that we come together, every time that we break bread in his house, every time that we worship and sing songs, but every time I go to your house, every time you visit me let it be in his presence and let us laugh in his presence let us have communion in his presence it has to be about his presence it has to be about his presence i'm gonna say something and this is just setting the tone for the word that god has in my heart this no longer is going to be about us it's going to be about what god ha has it's going to be what god wills it's going to be what god desires and there's an inv invitation from god for us to be included in that so, so understand this. I've been given an invitation to be included. Because here's the truth. God will do it. And he's going to do it. And he will accomplish his word. His word is not going to return void. As rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so is with his word. That is not going to return void. It's going to accomplish the purpose that it was set out. Now here's the thing. Here's the truth of that scripture. That is going to happen with or without us. With or without us. One of the greatest realities that I had to learn. That God will do this with or without me. And if I shortchange God, he's not going to shortchange himself. 
because he's made a promise on his own name. The Bible says that he looked where he can to to, to, an, to he looked to swear by to something. He looked to to put his, his his word on something, and when he looked, he found no one, and then he swore on his own name. God swore to God. He's the only one who could swear to himself. That's why he says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything more than that, anything more than that, don't even. You, have no, you don't have that much power to swear on your own life, and you have no power to swear on anyone else's. And do not take up his name in vain. Don't you, don't us ever do that. So what we speak of are his promises. The vision that we have is his vision. The work that we're going to do is his work. It's not your work, it's not my work. It's his work, and we've just been included to take part in it. And so we're humbled. We're all humbled. That's why then there's no one greater than the other. I do not care what your function is. I don't care how gifted we are. We are just included in it. God sits on a seat all by himself. I don't care if you're the bishop of Dunkin' Donuts. I do not care if you're the prophet of Publix. I don't care who you are. He sits on a throne all by himself. And thank God that he found worth. Thank God that he's found worth to call me a pastor. Humbly, I say thank you. Thank God that he has gifted you as a prophet. Thank God that he has gifted you as a worshiper. Humbly, humbly we, we, we receive that. Humbly, we, humbly. Our heads up are up in the confidence of God. But before him, our, our, our hands go up in surrender. We become, we fall prostrate on the floor. It's in humbleness, not deserving, not deserving, not deserving, not deserving, not deserving. One day I'm on top of the mountain, and yes, let the angels rejoice for that. But the other day, I'm in the bottom of the mountain, and God is still calling me his son. He's still speaking the promises over me. He's not, he's, he's not, he's not pulling the gifts away from me and the offices away from me. God, this is about you, and it's about your presence. Moses said this in Exodus 33. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, Moses was declaring, I'm not going anywhere. Your presence is not going. This is Exodus 33, verse 15. This is not for the sermon. This is for this. If your presence doesn't go, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't even want to look in a direction where you're not looking. In other words, he was also saying this. If your presence is here, then this is where I want to be. If this, is, if this is where your presence is at, if this is what you're doing, then I want to stay right here. I'm not. We got to stop putting a time on his presence. I don't want to step out his presence if God is resting. Because I need to have a sermon that's 45 minutes long. And because we got to have a worship experience that lasts 15 minutes and three seconds. If not, the red buzzer in the back goes off. I don't want, as long as God is here, then I want to be here. If God does something and his presence just falls in here, I'm not looking at my clock. I'm not concerned about what I got planned later on. I know God is also omniscient, so he already knew the plan that I had later on. He'll take care of it if it's a responsibility. But if his presence is here, then I don't want to leave here. If his presence is here. Look what he goes on to say, verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How do we know that God is pleased with us? as his people, as his sons. 
it's the indwelling of his presence amongst us. If his presence leaves us, then we need to chase after it. Not where did God go? Where did I go? I I need to find his presence. I never want to be a church that does not have the presence of God. And so as we become the place, it's about being a place of of, of having habitation in his presence with him. That's what we want. That's what we want. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? The thing that makes you and I different than all the people on the face of this earth is the presence of God with us. Amen? That's what makes us different. Not our hair, not our clothes, not necessarily our location. Our location separates us geographically, but what distinguishes us, to distinguish is to set apart, to isolate. The thing that makes us so different, or the thing more so to say, that makes us so special is the presence of God. Amen? Amen. How many people thank God for his presence? This is where I want to be. This is why I came. All right. Acts chapter 2. This is our opening scripture for his word. You could be remain standing there or you could be seated. It's okay. We're in his presence right now. Thank you. Acts chapter 2. Thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time, we welcome you to the Dwelling Place Church. Let's give a round of applause to anybody who's visiting us for the very first time. You could have chosen to be anywhere else. You possibly made arrangements. You set your alarm clock a little bit earlier to be here. But I thank God that you're here. I pray that you have an experience with God, even before you have an experience with us. We're just trying to be good stewards, and we're trying to facilitate people into the presence of God. That's our responsibility. That's what we're called to do. Church, we need to understand that we all are the church. Church, we need to understand that we all are the church. Church, we need to understand that we all are the church. So we welcome you to the Dwelling Place Church. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. I have to give a little bit of context not to take out too much time, but we do have a prophetic word to become the place for God. Amen? And as we do that, God will bring us into our own place. But as, as we're discovering, we're learning that the place of his presence means more than anything. And so there's almost, there's almost a part that I'm not even worried about that place. I understand that that's, that's the part for God to give. And the only reason why God shared that, gave that word to us was for us to know there's a responsibility that you have and there's a responsibility that I have. Keep those responsibilities in order. So don't get desperate for the place. Your only desperation should be that we are becoming this place. The book of Acts is beautiful because I can't, it, 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 at the same time, the book of Genesis is my favorite book in the Bible had been because, and the reason why um, is because there's so much principle within the first chapters. You really see clearly a picture of God's desire and will uh, for 
his purpose for creating the earth, more specifically, his purpose for creating mankind. It's beautiful. Um, then when you go over into the New Testament and you look at the book of Acts, much of what you see there is their genesis. It's the genesis. It's the beginning of the first church. It's when the disciples that walked with Jesus became the apostles of the gospel and, 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 and the other followers of Jesus became disciples of those apostles. And you see the beginning of the first early church. Amen. And so in Acts chapter 2, it is where we're reading is from, we're reading the end of the chapter, okay? These verses are the end of the chapter. They're not the beginning. But what happens in the beginning verses is very important. I'm going to just tell you quickly so you understand what's taking place now. Jesus had already been killed, crucified on the cross. He resurrected. After his resurrection, the Bible tells us this. We're not making this up. It's not because someone thought of this. The Bible tells us that he appeared to his disciples and his followers for 40 days on earth after the resurrection. I can't imagine the conversations, but we do know this, that he called the church to then wait for the promise of his spirit. That's the beautiful thing about God. He never leaves. He never really leaves us. And so, yes, the man, Jesus, went away, but the spirit of God was then able to dwell with everyone and, 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 and it wouldn't require for the man, Jesus, to be present in order to encounter God. And so it would seem like a loss because Jesus ascended to heaven was not a loss at all. He said, I go away, but the comforter, there was a promise of the comforter. His Holy Spirit would dwell with all of us. And so even though Jesus today is not physically here with us, what we do have, Jesus almost described as better. The Holy Spirit is with us and it can be with us and we can experience him and feel close to God wherever we are at. So also understand we're not limited to just this building. Do not think that the Holy Spirit closes shop, punches out when we end the service today. Know that the Spirit of God is there with you. He's close to you. He's present with you. You are not alone just because a service ends for us. And so here in Acts chapter 2 begins with them waiting for the initial uh, coming of that Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that 120 people waited as instructed by Jesus in this place, in this upper room. They waited and then the Holy Spirit came. And then there was this beautiful manifestation of God's spirit, his presence amongst them. Um, they were given the gifts to speak in tongues. Other people were able to understand those tongues in their own language. They were able to get close to God. Peter got up in the spirit of God, preached a message about Jesus Christ being the savior. And he preached. And guess how many people believed that day that didn't believe before that? The Bible says 3,000 people believed. That is what happens only in God's presence, okay? And so what we're reading is after that, just after that. So now you have this new family in God. 3,000 people were just added. What's up, my brother? What's up, my sister? We now believe the same thing. We now uh, uh, are, are, are believing the same teachings now. We're now trying to walk the same path now. We're trying to be in agreement. We're the agreement that they had while they were waiting in the upper room, the Bible says that they were in one accord waiting. How do they keep that same agreement now with 3,120 of them? 
but they looked for it. They sought after it. And so now we're reading these verses, and I'm going to read them. I'm going to read 44 to verse 47. 40, I'm sorry, 42 to verse 47. And, 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 and the last verse, something popped out to me that's never popped out before. Something just stood out that's never stood out before. And that today is the heart of where I want to get to by the end, okay? I'm not promising I'm going to be short, but I'm praying I'm not going to be long. <laughs> See, I had to work you guys up earlier. How long you want to be in his presence? <laughs> okay, ready? Look how beautiful. Verse 32. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Two different things. In other words, they, they learned together what the apostles were teaching, but they also had fellowship at the also. Isn't that beautiful? So there was a time for them to sit down and do Bible study, and then there was a time for them to sit down and fellowship. That is what communion's about. Amen? It says, in the breaking of bread, and some other translations of the Bible, and my, this is the NIV version that we're looking at. Other translations would kind of put a parenthesis or highlight, say, the Lord's Supper. When Jesus broke bread, they would honor the Lord's Supper together when they would come together. Now look at this. Then fear came upon every soul. Me and Joshua were just talking about this. I said, well, what does that word fear mean there? I looked at it. It literally means frightened to death. <laughs> just in case, maybe it meant something else. No, fear came upon them. They were frightened. So without looking ahead, what do you think would happen? What do, you t what do we tend to do by nature when fear comes upon us? What do you do? Scream, uh, run. There we go. That's what I wanted us to get. If there's something fearful, typically we, we retreat. So if fear comes upon these 3,000 plus people, the natural reaction would be they would disperse. They would run away. They would grow further away from wherever they were at or fearful, right? They would No, but let's read what happens. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. So even in their fear, their fear of the Lord did not separate them, did not cause them to run away from God. Their fear of the Lord caused them to draw closer to God. So even in the fear of the Lord, even when we have the fear of the Lord, the reverence, the respect, the fear that he's that much bigger than us, there's still, even in the fear of God, there's this drawing towards him. So right now, if you've ever come to church and you've experienced a fear or you're afraid of it, I want you to know that that does not even come from God. The fear and reverence of God actually draws us closer to him. These people didn't run. It says, now all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. You have to know that they're striving then to be in agreement. They're working past fear to be in togetherness. It says, and they had all things in common, verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And now you start to see a demonstration of this love for God being poured out on one another. Some people had more than others. And what they would do is they would sell their own things, their own property. There's literal um, uh, uh, verses after this that say the people were selling their houses and so that others would not lack. And they were dividing the resources and funds that were received from the selling of these houses. Look at the agreement. Look at the love. 
Verse 48, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Here's the last verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That's what stood out to me. We'll talk about it later, but that's what stood out to me. So, you know, we're going to go back there. If I forget to go back there, you would be like, Pastor, that's what you say you were preaching about. Please go back there. Praising who? And having favor with who? So praising who? And having favor with who? One more time. Who did they praise? And who did they have favor with? Good. It says, and the Lord, look at the result of that. The result. Praising who? Having favor with who? The people. Here's the result. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That 3,000 began to grow. Here's my title. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. The place of true worship. If God really came in here how we want him to come in here, I wonder what, what would he flip? What would he flip? And more so than the church building tables and chairs, what would he flip in your heart? What would he flip in your life? What would he flip? What would Jesus start flipping over and, 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 and body slamming if he, if, if, if he really came how we wanted him to come? And what we ultimately determined was this, that we have become comfortable with sitting in, in, in peace in a place that Jesus would flip a table. We, we sit in peace at a place where Jesus would flip a table. Now, the reason why I wanted to go back there was because I want to say this. More than Jesus' uh, intention, more, his purpose wasn't just to come into the temple and just flip a table. It was more than that. Jesus literally was actually trying to flip a worship system. That is what we need to understand. If you see Jesus, he was loving, he was kind, but some, there would be these moments where Jesus would just flare up. We also read that he, he had a whip. He made a whip. He took a court. He took a whip, and he whipped people out of the church. And then and another occasion, and he flipped the table. Like, what is wrong? Jesus, why don't you, why don't you just pray about this first? <laughs> Jesus, will you just pray about this first? But he flipped tables. And it, more than flipping furniture, it was about him flipping the spiritual worship system that was in place. He was not happy with the system of worship. That was taking place, in the, not just in the temple, but that was taking place all over his people. His people lived in this system of worship. And at the top of this system of worship, you saw Pharisees, and you saw Sadducees, and you saw high priests, and you saw a Sanhedrin. And then, yes, there was a Roman government that was above all of that. But nonetheless, the religious people of that time had great influence, not just from religiously over the people, but how they lived all together and, 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 and how they did life. There was, there was more power given to the church than how the church is today. The, and our, we live in a place where... It's separated. Church and state is separated. And that's why things of the state don't bring, don't bring those topics of the church into the places of the state. And then the state tries to stay out of the topic of the church. But they always cross paths. The minute the state gets in trouble, next thing you know, on God we trust. So all of a sudden, now they want the church to come back in. But in the system that we live in today, there's a separation between church and state. But back then, it was all kind of mixed together. The Romans let the religious people lead over the people. But Jesus was upset over the system of worship. That was taking place. And the reason why he was upset with the system of worship is because the religious people who led the system of worship, hear me, hear me very clear. They served, they worshiped the system 
of spirituality more than they worshiped the God of spirituality. Did you hear? They worshiped the system of spirituality more than they actually worship the God of all spirituality. As time went on, they started to worship the systems that are needed. And let me tell you this, I'm not against systems. Jesus is not against systems. If you read New Testament teachings, he, he, he talks about the spiritual offices and he's the one who appoints the pastors, the, 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 the teachers, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. He's the one who gives the gifts of the spirit. We saw that just a couple of weeks ago. It's all by the same spirit. He goes on to say, let all things be done decently and let them all be done in order. Jesus, God, is not against systems. But the systems that even God gives us, we can never worship before the God who gave the system. God is not afraid of systems. He actually institutes worship systems but the system can never be worshipped more than the God who gave the system. And these people, because why? The system is only to create a, a path and a way for us to worship God. On our own, we can't find God. Jesus, as a matter of fact, was God's spiritual system in order for us to get to God. That's why it says, no man can what? Get to the Father except through me. The cross was God's divine system in order for us to have access back to God. The cross was a system in order for us to be washed from our sin. The resurrection was part of a system so that we can know that we also have power to live a new life. So it's not that God is against systems, but the systems can never be worshipped more than God himself. And they worshiped the system. They fell in love with the system. Insomuch that they lost heart. They lost the heart of the system. And so you see Jesus so uh, wrestling and at times you see him so aggressive towards these religious leaders. The Pharisees, these men in the temple. They were so... You see this confrontation between Jesus and them was because he was trying to fight them against their worship of the system. The Pharisees worshiped the system. And, and, and Mark chapter 2, they, 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 they complained to Jesus because Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. They're like, John's disciples are fasting. We fast. How come your disciples don't fast? And Jesus went on to say, there's no need for them to fast while the bridegroom is right here. There's no reason for them to go. I'm, in other words, God is standing. The Messiah, the Christ is standing with them right now. He goes, but there is going to come a time when they must fast. In other words, the Pharisees had a system of when to fast. It was scheduled of when to fast. There was no real connection. And God was, Jesus was trying to tell them, there is a spiritual timing of when you need to fast. And right now, this is not the time for them to fast. There is a spiritual time. There is a time when it's called for but right now you guys are just doing it because of the system and so what they did they went against Jesus they had uh, desires against him why because he was not falling in line with their system of worship that's in Mark chapter 2 if you continue reading Jesus actually him and his disciples are, are, are walking by on a Sabbath day and they start picking heads of grain this is at the end of Mark chapter 2 and the, and the Pharisees again come against them. how come they're doing work on the Sabbath day does he not know the system of worship that we have? 
And Jesus went on to say, you don't remember David and his men when they were fighting and there was no food? They went into the temple and they ate the holy consecrated bread so they wouldn't die. But they had a system of worship. They had a system of worship that they needed to worship. A system of worship that needed to be worshipped. And then if you read Mark chapter 3, it continues that Jesus heals a man who had a shriveled hand, the Bible says. And he healed them on a Sabbath day. And then they came against Jesus for healing that man on the Sabbath day. You know how Mark chapter 2 ends is what he really wanted to carry over in Mark chapter 3? He says this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The system was created to bring rest to man. Not the system of the Sabbath was created to enslave a man so that if he was hungry, he couldn't eat. And if there was someone that was in need, you couldn't help him. That's what happens when you worship the system more than the God who gave you the system. They worship their system. So why are they eating on the Sabbath day? Why are you healing people on the Sabbath day? Why are you not fasting according to the calendar of fasting that we have? They worship the system. In Matthew chapter 15, they come as they're not done. Do not mess up someone's worship system. People get crazy on you. God forbid you step on someone's worship system. Right in the middle of worship, they might cuss you out. That's how you know that they're worshiping a system and they're not worshiping the spirit of the one who gave. When you got a lot of nasty church people, chances are they're worshiping the system and not the God who's given them the system to get access to him. So be careful that we don't, we got to be careful we're not worshiping the system. And in Matthew chapter uh, 15, they, they complain to Jesus. They say, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. I know it's type nasty. We went fishing the other night. I think Danny's fingers still smell like fish. He's a little self-conscious. No, they're good, right? Chris came in. He was like, and Chris, well, everybody who went fishing the other night is like, like, we feel like it's there, right? You feel like it's there, but you're just trusting the Lord that it's not. So, yeah, it's type nasty. They didn't wash their hands, but it wasn't saying the disciples were feeding them. They're feeding themselves. Leave the man alone. And here's the crazy thing, that that was not even a law. It was just a tradition that was created out from some other laws. And so because Jesus' disciples didn't honor the, tra- the tradition of a, of a system, they came against him. And Jesus said, do you know what really defiles a man? Not what goes into his mouth, but what comes from his heart. That's, that's, that's where the real issue is, what comes out from the heart. This is where all the evil and the greed and the lust and all the perversion, all that stuff comes from within. You're worrying about an outside system. Later on, he went out to call them. He said, you blind guys, you look like nice whitewashed sepulchers, nice white tombstones, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. They had a system down pack of worship. It's crazy. We get addicted to worship systems, and we don't even realize it. Jesus was a well of life in front of them. He was living water in front of them. And they didn't worship him because he didn't look like the system that they were expecting. Everyone was addicted to some kind of system. The Samaritans, who if you go back years 
prior to this, the, the Samaritans were created when, when Israel split with the tribe of Judah. Judah went north, Israel went south. Later on, after that, uh, they, became, they, they purchased uh, the Samar- uh, Samaria, which became their capital. And, and, and then there was some intermingling with other nations around them. And because of the Jews, they created this separation, the separation between the, the Jews, Israel, and, and, and the Samaritans as they became... That's who they were called. And so the Jews had nothing to do with them. And so they, they, they both judged each other. They both looked down on each other. And, and the Jews definitely saw these people as dogs and not worth a time of day. And so they didn't mingle together. They didn't talk with each other. And that was the system. That was the worship system. That was okay. It was okay to think your brother was a dog. It was okay to think you were better than someone. That was part of their worship system. They didn't talk with them. They didn't eat with them. They didn't, you know, a, a Jew would go all the way around, go all the way around, not even to go near them. That's how the worship system worked back then. And Jesus tells his disciples, let me show you something about the system that you got established. He goes, I need to pass through Samaria. They're like, no one gave you instruction on the worship system here, Jesus? There's a system of worship. And our system of worship says, you do not go to that place. He said, I need to go there. He goes there. He stops at Jacob's well, and there is a woman drawing water from the well. He's like, I'm thirsty, but not the kind of thirsty you think. The lady's like, you don't even have a pail or a bucket. <laughs> he said, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. And he goes, the water that I give, he goes, if you come back to this well, Jacob's well right here, that's in Samaria, you come back here, you're going to have to come back again because you will be thirsty. It's not going to quench your thirst. But the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. He's like, go. She's like, you know what? I'll take this water. He's like, go ahead and get your husband. She's like, I don't have one. He's like, you're right. You got five. Yeah, you don't have one. You had five. And the person you with right now is not even your hubby. She's like, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> I mean, what else are you gonna say at that point? You got How long you been watching me, Jesus? How long you been hanging out? How long you been in Samaria? I know you just got here because you a Jew. She goes, you must be a prophet. He says, yes. You know what her immediate default response is to after that? After declaring him to be a prophet, she even goes back to her system of worship mind. You know what she says? Oh, wait a minute. Us Samaritans worship on this mountain, but you Jews worship on that mountain. Right away, she, her mind, she's being offered living water for her life to change forever, for her to never thirst again. And her mind immediately goes back into default mode about the system of worship. While the God, the Messiah who is there in front of her is offering her living water. She wants to talk about the system of worship. She goes, sir, the woman says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. This is John 4. She goes, our ancestors worship on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's like, which stuck in the system. He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're stuck on the system of where and are missing who. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Look at this. Yet a time is coming 
and has now come when the true worshipers will worship who? The Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. I came to tell you this. If 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus said, now is the time for you to get out of the system of worship and step into the reality of true worship, I would say 2,020 years later that we are past due. We are past due, and it's time for the church to enter into true worship. True worship. Here's the crazy thing. 2,000 years later, the church of God is still struggling with a system of worship. We're still struggling. We're struggling with our system, our spiritual systems all. And I'm wondering if Jesus will come in and just start flipping stuff. And saying that you have, you, have, you have life right here. You have living water right here. And you're worshiping the system. And now this is the next thing I want to tell you. God is not going to share his worship with anyone. God is not going to share his worship with anyone. God is not going to share his worship with any system. Not... God is not even going to share his worship with the church system we created. He's, he's not going to share it. God is, God, 2,000 years past due to worship in spirit and in truth. Do you know that God's jealous? God's jealous. You know we can come here and be here for two hours and worship the system and miss God? If things are not changing... If we're not changing, if you and I are not changing, if we're not seeing God's hand over us, if miracles are not happening, if people are not being healed, if people are not being saved, if people are not being transformed, then I, I would have to confess. I would have to confess. I would have to repent. I would have to have to admit our fault and that we then have this whole time only worship a system and miss the God. And God is so jealous. He is so jealous. He is not, he's not going to share worship with with him and some other thing in your life with him and some other system of worship that I have God is not going to share worship he let me tell you we can love everybody here we could be kind to everyone here we can fellowship with everyone here. We can break bread with everyone here. That's what God wants us to do. There's instruction. We read it in his word. That's supposed to take place. It's good. God will bless that. There's supposed to be favor here. But we can only worship God. We can only worship God. As much as I like you, as much as I love you, as much as someone loves you, as much as someone likes you, they cannot worship you. It is forbidden. It goes against God's instruction. He's too jealous. You can't worship your son. You can't worship your daughter. You can't worship your wife. You can love them with everything. You can even lay down your life for a brother. The Bible says there's nothing greater than that. But still, God never authorizes. It is forbidden. It is unauthorized to worship another person. It's unauthorized to worship a system. It's unauthorized to worship the things that we do for God and not worship the God who's called us to do those things. It's unauthorized. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not approved by heaven. It's not approved. It's not approved for you to have any other God than God. He's not going to share. He's not going to make extra seats. He's not going to say, yes, you know, I'll take this amount of glory. 
I'll take 80% of your worship. You could give 20% to the people around you. Nope, nope, not at all. 100% worship belongs to God. Love them as much as you want to. Care for them as much as you want to. You can even, you can ser- serve them as you serve them through the calling. But you're not going to serve them in terms of worship them. When God got delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt and they were enslaved for over 400 years and there were gods over them and Pharaoh even was a god over them and there was statues all around and these were gods here and these were gods over there and the people could see and they can worship all this stuff. God said, the first thing I want to do, the first thing I want to read inside you, the first thing I want to deliver you from is from idol worship. They're not worthy of your worship. They have no power over you. They did not create you. They do not have purpose over you. They do not have power over you. They can do nothing for you. Therefore, you can only worship me. And this, when God's giving the law, Moses is in the mountain. He's on the mountain all by himself. God is giving him the instruction for the people to teach them how to be God's people. Do you know that? You and I are a son and a daughter, but we have to be taught how to be God's sons and how to be God's daughter. This is why you can't fly. Well, I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter, and this is what I just do. No, there's instruction for us on how to be God's son and how to be God's daughter. And the only way you know that instruction is not by someone else telling you. It's by us going into God's word, hearing his word, and learning what God wants and expects from us as sons and daughters of God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. This is the first commandment out of the Ten Commandments. This is the first one that God told Moses. This is the first one that, that God inscribed on the stones. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. No one else brought you out. Yes, Moses was there, but he was just part of the system. He was a mediator, he was a spokesman, but he was not God. He is not God. He is not your savior. I used him, I called him, I implemented him into your system of deliverance, but I am your God who brought you out of Egypt. You saw Moses, but it was me. You heard Moses, but it was me. You saw Moses' little staff bringing down fire, little plagues and frogs and all that cute stuff, but it was me. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters. You shall not bow down to what? To them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's jealous. He's jealous for my worship. He's jealous for what I worship. He's jealous for who I worship. And he just told me the only one deserving of that worship is him. Look what he says. Punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God said, I'm very jealous. I'm so jealous that if you hate me, I will punish to the fourth generation. But if you worship me in spirit and truth, and if I'm your only God, and if you only bow down to me, then I have blessings for a thousand generations to come. The reason why some of us are blessed is because I don't know how far back these trace your family's trees go, 
But some of you might be blessed because of a thousand generations somewhere else that honored God. And their love for God and their worship, their pure worship for God has trickled down generation and family line. And that's why, and that's why you're saying, I don't even know why God loves me. I don't even know why God blesses me. I'm so foolish. I'm so, God's like, you are. But there was 50 generations before you, someone who did not bow down to anything else. There was someone who did not contaminate their worship. And there was a great, 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 grandfather. There was a great, 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 great grandmother who was on her knees, uncontaminated, had pure worship, didn't worship themselves, didn't worship people, didn't worship the things of this world, didn't worship a system of worship, didn't worship religion. They worship me, and because of them, I got favor on you. God, what do you see when you look at me? Your grandmother. What do you see? Why would you bless me and give me these talents? There was a great, 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 great grandfather of yours. Your worship is an investment of blessing on a generation. Your worship is an investment of blessing and favor on a generation that you might never see. Not your money. Your money going to run out. You could get yourself a billion dollars. All it takes is one knucklehead son to leave that inheritance to, and your whole business come to the ground. But I dare you to worship God. I dare you to praise God. I dare you not to have contaminated, infiltrated worship by the world. And I promise you, God's hand is not going to leave his son. Not because I said it, because he said it in his word. It's the first commandment wonder why God's been so merciful. It's because someone I didn't even know, someone who I'll never acknowledge in my life, someone that a grandfather can't ever tell me about, but somewhere in the loins there was someone who worshipped God only. And we got favor. So when I get to heaven, God, show me great, 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 whoever it was that opened the door of favor and blessing over me. Some of the blessings we have is because your parent prayed there's the ones that we worked for, and, 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 we, and, we, and we honored God, and he blessed us, but there are so many that it was a parent, it was a grandmother, it was, it was someone else in the loins. He said, don't do this, and it doesn't take but a few chapters while Moses is in there. He's up there a while. Forty days, he's up there. And you know what the people, what happens to the people? Now, they just came out of a system of worship where they had to see their God. The Egyptians had gods everywhere. I mean, Pharaoh himself could have been a god to them as king, okay? They believe he'll be reincarnated and all this great stuff, and he's then a god somewhere. <laughs> so they saw gods, and then Moses is missing. They're like, okay, two days later, three days later, four days later, 10 days later, 20 days later, 30 days later, 40 days. He's dead. He's dead. And see, what, what, what was happening was Moses, remember, Moses was part of God's system to deliver them but he was only part of the system he was not God but the people somehow in their mind they made him God because the minute he disappeared they said we need to make an image that we can see because now Moses we don't see no more and so they thought they needed to see him to experience God they thought they he needed to be present in order to have God 
Moses was just part of the system that God created so that they could get there. But as Moses is in the process of helping them not just be delivered from their physical land, but from their mental, spiritual bondage, because he didn't, he didn't come back at a time when they thought he was supposed to come back. They're like, we need a God. We need a God. We need a God. We're so used to the system of seeing a God. And so they asked Aaron, Aaron, make us something. Make us something. We'll take a calf. We'll take a calf. And Aaron's like, give me your gold. Give me your jewelry. And then they start taking And then Aaron constructs. This calf, and the Bible says they start to worship that because they were addicted in their system of worship to see a God in order to worship him. Now, how do I say this? How do I say this? This is hard. Because they didn't see, here, because they didn't see God or feel God anymore because Moses was absent. They created their own worship system to be at peace, hear me, with themselves. And here's the thing. They became content with a calf who had no power to do anything. But they were satisfied. They didn't complain after it got done and said, oh, what happened? It says they danced and they paraded around. They were just satisfied with an idol that was a representation of a God, and it satisfied them. They partied through the night. When God and Moses from up in the mountain, like, what's all that noise? They were celebrating, worshiping a God that was absent, and it satisfied them. All because they did not feel the real God present with them. Okay, so now how do I say this? This is very important. Have we created golden calves in our churches and we're satisfied with worshiping those things while we're not connected to the real God? Because the calf only came into being when they did not feel connected to God. And I wonder if us as a default, of not really feeling the presence of God, not really seeing the hand of God, not really being in his presence in our churches. Now I'm talking literally about our churches now. Have our churches created systems of golden calves that satisfy us, and there's no real move of God, there's real no manifestation of God, his hand is not moving, there are no miracles, there's no power, there's no healing, there's no uh, restoration, there's no deliverance, none of those things are taking place in our church, but we have a golden calf that we worship, the program is right, the number of songs is right, the designs are right, the lights are right, the walk-in entrance is right, everything is right, and we worship and we praise and we go home satisfied, and we didn't receive anything. Have our churches, our churches filled with golden calves and we don't even know it. And we're okay without the presence of God. I'm going to share a quote from Pastor William McDowell, who's out in Orlando. He said this. He said, we have learned to do church without God. The only way you can do church without God is if you got a calf in the, in the building. So that you, when you leave, you feel like you worshipped. So when you leave, you feel satisfied. So that when we leave, we're like, okay, yeah, I did that thing with God. We've learned to do church without God. 
This is also why so many people don't come back to church because they went there and didn't feel anything. They saw the system. They saw the system that you had. This is, this is the danger of religion itself. That religion needs a system. Even our faith needs a system in order for us to understand God. But if the system comes before God and, 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 and God is locked out but we have a system, some people fall in love with that system. He went on to say this. We have a package that attracts people but not him. I wonder if this is a truth of the American modern day church that we have, that it's become so attractive. I wonder if the size of our churches now too and the big growth of our churches is not necessarily because there's a move of God, but because why? Here's it, here, I'm gonna get to that verse here and this is really, really strong, but I'm gonna be really, really, really bold. It's gonna be really, really strong, but I'm gonna be really, really bold. I wonder if the reason why some of the churches are growing so fast and so much is because the people are the golden calves themselves that we worship. That I worship you. And the system now is built around worshiping you than it is about around worshiping God. And so if Sunday, the day that we just separate as a day for us all to come together, because you got to also understand your Christianity is not locked to just Sunday. But if Sunday is the day that we agree there's 100 and plus people, we can't all be at each other's house on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We can't all be friends, but we can take a Sabbath day. We can take a day, make it holy where we can all come together. But what if on that day that we have consecrated to the Lord, which is now Sunday, many religions around the world have Sunday as their day of worship, and that's what we have. What if we all come here on a Sunday and rather than worshiping God we worship each other of course I'll come back if you worship me of course of course of course I'll come here if you're gonna worship me we don't realize this but but we started worshiping you and you allowed us to worship you (laughs) This is crazy because if Sunday for the pastors and Sunday for the churches and Sunday for the leaders, if it starts like this, I wonder how they feel. I hope the temperature is really perfect for them. I really hope they have their own private parking. I hope they all could have private parking. Maybe we should just get parking so everyone has their own private parking and all their names are on their parking spots and... and Trust me, I am challenging myself, and I'm challenging my, my way of thinking for the past 10 years as I, as I thought about this. And, and the first-time guests have to be here. There's a verse in the Bible about it somewhere. It has, they have to have their own parking somewhere, right? <laughs> you have to, because they, they need to. And, and, and there needs to be special seating here, and there needs to be special seating there. And they have to have, we need at least 20 people to welcome one first-time guest. At least 20 people. <laughs> At least 15 people. They all should have matching shirts. Yes, they need matching shirts. And need two people, and it has to be the male, and it has to be the female, so everyone feels welcome. And, and, and we need to have five, five tents, and this one's got to be red so that they can know that this one is for their little kid, and this one's for their youth, and this one's for this. And Man, God, help me. God, I'm praying fast about this parking situation. 
Fast and pray, fast and pray. Call in three-day fast for the parking situation, for these people that are coming here. And then when they come in, they need to have an information desk, an information desk that tells them everything about us, everything about us, and everything. And the information has to tell them everything that they need, everything that they need. If they need for the kids, if they need for the toddlers, if they need for ages seven to five, if they five to seven, if they for the high schoolers, if they if they they, we, they need to have everything, and they need to know when we meet, and they need to know how we serve them. They need to know about the bake sale. They need to know about the fellowship. They need it's they need they. Need need that and when they come in we need to have those chairs we, we punish them with the black fold-up chairs we punish them and so now it's time now it's time to bless them and so we need to have them they need to be black they also got to be black because they don't match black gray or white that's the only ones we've taken that fall into the color oh and the color scheme god help us we need money for the paint now we got to raise money for the paint so that the paint matches too and that the chairs that they're sitting in match the paint and then we need the black the bl- black backdrop ba- black black drop because then that allows for the lights to shine bright and the colors to pop out and then if the colors match then we also need to have good graphic designers because we ain't going to be that church with that cheap graphic design you already know us and then the app got when they visit the app then the app the website needs to feel like they came to the church it needs to feel like they came to the church and we better record the message so that if they miss the message or if they were lazy and they just wanted to sleep we will still we will still give them the word of god even though they don't want it even if only three people watch that video we're going to have five people to record the sermon we're going to have three cameras over here and a camera guy over there and we need the sound guy to figured out and we need to upload it on the app and you know what we need to have uh and you know and be careful how we talk about giving we got to make it in a way that they could just give if they want and so we'll use the word if they feel (laughs) if they feel not that god says that they're a thief if they hold back the time no if they feel if they feel like if, if they feel like they're gonna give to him and, and we got to be careful how we say it. And, and, and don't talk about those real situations. Don't talk about no homosexuality in the church. Don't talk about no adultery in the church. Don't talk about no fornication. Don't talk about that stuff because then they won't come back. And then we got to make sure that when we preach, we don't preach too long. Pastor Ezekiel, how long you been preaching? You better check your clock. You better check your clock because then, you know, they got other things to do. And if you don't preach for 43 minutes and 50 seconds, then we already did surveys. We did surveys on the people. And we already know that people cannot hold their attention for more than 15 minutes. So if you're going to speak for longer than 15 minutes, then it better be entertaining. So you know how people are. You know how the people are. And then you know what? When they leave, you know what? We're going to give them cups. We're going to put logos on the cups, and we're going to give them pens, and we got to have gifts, and we're going to buy gift bags so that when they leave, they feel worshipped. If we had all that stuff, you know I'm coming back. If you're going to worship me like that, if I fasted for your parking situation, if I fasted for the chair color, if I fasted for a building to make you feel comfortable, Pastor, you are not to have no other gods before me. And church in the modern day is all about how you and I feel. And if I don't feel worship, then I'm not coming back. Do you know what's crazy? People go around looking for churches. In so much that it's a, it's a word, and it's called church shopping. Church shopping. Church, I'm church shopping right now. It's not God shopping no more. It's not I'm looking for the spirit of the Lord. It's not I'm looking to see if God is here. I'm, it's not looking to see if God's presence is here. I'm church shopping. Like I go to Millennium Mall, and I try on things that they don't fit me, then I'm not having that. I have a pastoral counselor, he shared with me, he's also a, a leader in his church, that someone dropped by his church and said, oh, we just want to check inside. Just want to check it out. I mean, this, said, they told him, we, we, can we come into the church? 
We want to look around. We want to look around to see what you have. They literally told them, we are church shopping. And it went on to say, they wanted to see the auditorium. And then, and then, and, and then the male that was with them said, worship is our thing. Which is, okay, good. All right, maybe, maybe we get it somewhere. Maybe worship, the spirit of worship is his thing. He wants to know if the spirit of worship is in this place. But he went on to say this, worship is our thing. So if the music here isn't top notch, we out. We're out. These are things that used to be like buried in our heart and our mind at one point. When we were looking for a church, like, man, you know, worship's really important to me. So I really want to hear the worship band. And, and I'm, trust me, I'm fighting to say this to you because I get that. I get that to you. I've gone to churches. I'm like, man, I walked into the church. I'm like, that's not even a full drum set. <laughs> that is not even a full drum set. And that piano... That's, you give that to your kid when they're trying to learn the piano on Christmas. I've walked into churches and my mind does the same thing. I start church shopping. I start looking at pain. I start looking at colors. I walked into a church. I'm like, oh, my God, like a funeral. I saw there were just too many flowers on the altar. I'm like, did I come, did I come to service today? Or did I come to a funeral? That's, that's the church shopper. That is, that, is, that is when we worship the system of worship rather than, than the God who, who needs to be worshipped. I remember sitting in a place and, 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 and I started looking around and God said, nope, what you need to be looking for and what matters, what matters while you sit here is if the spirit of the Lord is here. The church was totally different from us, but God spoke loud in my spirit. What matters is if my spirit is here. And let me tell you, they didn't sing any of the songs we sing. Hey, they had half a drum set for crying out loud. But the spirit of the Lord was there. And I felt him and I connected with him. And I left that place saying God was there. And it did not matter what they had or didn't have. Then we went to another church and it was totally different. They didn't sing the songs that we sang. Their microphones had some issues. But the spirit of the Lord was there. Wow. And I left and I said, that's, what, that, that's what's important. I don't want to be a church that we worship the people. We can serve the people through what God's given us to that God-given ability to serve them. We can love them. We exist to love people how God loves people. I can love you as much as God loves you and strive for that. But I can never worship you. You can never worship me. No one, no one is worthy of that. No one. No one. I'll do a demonstration to try to prove this. No one. Pastor Michael, come up here. Just stand right here. He's a pastor. Uh, you face me, face me. He's a pastor here at this church. He's an executive pastor. We, in this example, we can make him the senior pastor right now. We can make him anything that God's given to the church as gifts. He can be a pastor. He can be a teacher. He can be a, a prophet. He can be an evangelist. He can be an apostle. He can be a brother. He can be a sister of the Lord. He can be gifted. He can have all those gifts. This is an example God gave me this past week. And as much as he is gifted, as much as he's called by God, as much as he's anointed by God, I cannot worship him. And the reason why... I can't worship him 
It's also the reason why God said not to worship all these other things. It wasn't because God's got this, this, this insecurity complex with him. And he's, saying, and he's saying, just worship me and not them. Because he's trying to make himself greater than us. He is greater than us. So even if we, he was the pastor, he was the prophet, he was the evangelist, he was the teacher, he was the apostle, he was the man of God, he is anointed. Do you know what I felt last night? Do you know what I felt this morning? Do you know what I felt last week? Do you know what I struggled with? Do you know what I rejoiced about? The only way he would know all those things if if I shared. And if God gave him discernment through his gift to know it. And this is not to say that he's never discerned something in me as a man of God. This is not to say that someone that God has as an instrument has not discerned or felt and God's revealed or has used. I'm not taking any of that stuff away. But he doesn't know what I thought last night. He doesn't know what I thought this morning. He doesn't know what I thought last week. He doesn't know what happened to me on October 5th at 3 o'clock. He doesn't know what happened last year on November the 1st. He doesn't know. And here's the crazy thing. God knows all those things that I just mentioned about myself. I do not remember, I do not remember January 2014, but you know what? If I say that to heaven, God says, I know exactly what was happening. I know exactly how you were feeling. I know exactly what you were doing. And you know what? If Joshua, come up here. Joshua, come up here. Joshua, come up here. Uh, come up here. Just stand next to me. Just stand next to me. You guys are standing next to me. You're standing next to me. What about them? Stand next to me. Stand next to me. What about them? Jen says, stand up here. Come, come, stand up here. Alex, come, come. What about them? Insufficient to be worshipped. Honor him. Bless him. Respect him. Revere him. Hold him up. Be there for him. Love him. Die for him, but never worship him. Because me alone... Too much to discern. Not including them, but this is the amazing thing. This is why we worship God, because he knows your August 2018. He knows your September 2010. He knows your January 2009. He knows your February. I don't know what year. I'm running out of years right now. He knows, and he knows this one. You guys could be seated, and every one of you who stood up, God knew you. He knew what you felt. He knew what you were thinking. He was there with you. So that's why only God, and it's not just to say, okay, God one, and right beneath him two, and right beneath that three, where God is, is so much further away from our number two. He's that much higher. Only God. Never, we cannot worship anyone. My counselor told those people, I mean, what do you say to that? If this worshiping top notch, I'm out. I guess, fingers crossed, you got top notch worship. worship. <laughs> if, he, if someone came in here and said that to me, I would not even tell the worship team that. Because I would not want to cast that burden on them. And I wouldn't tell them that because I would not want them to think that they're worshiping for that person. Wow. 
It's not why we worship. Can you imagine all those things that I talked about? If that was our churches and the pastor's mind of what Sunday looked like. And then at the end say, man, well, God, just give them what they're looking for. That's what he told those people. He said, well, I hope you find what you're looking for. He was in awe that that's what came out their mouth. But now what we've been feeling this whole time is finally we live in a world where it comes out. They could have easily said, if you don't have a good youth ministry, I'm not bringing my kids up in here. And I'm not saying that youth ministry doesn't matter. I'm not saying that children's church doesn't matter. I'm not saying that parking doesn't matter. Trust me, I am not saying that. But what I am saying is this. When we're looking for God in a church, that's what we should be looking for first. Because how true is this? How many times when, you, when God brings you to a church, he's bringing you there to be the assistance that that church needs? How many times he brings you, and yet the worship isn't that top-notch, but he's brought you to assist the worship. And the children's ministry is not top-notch, but he brought you to care for that kid's ministry. So if we walked out because we didn't find what we need, we should be coming into church and not saying, what do I need, what do I want, what do I need, what do I want, what do they have, what do I want, what do, they, what do I need? What, what, no, we should come in church saying, God, what do you have? What do you want? What do you have? Because the Bible says this, that even before we pray, God knows what we're... He already knows what's in our heart. So... There, we need to also have a confidence that God knows what I need. I'm not staying here because it's meeting my need. I'm staying here because I'm trusting that God knows my needs. And as I search for him and find him, he will supply my need. He'll supply my need. As I find God, he'll supply my need. I'm not coming to church and I'm not coming to God just because of my needs. But as I find God, he will supply my need. <laughs> it's dangerous when we live a life on what we want. Very, very dangerous. When we live like that individually and when we live like that as a church. What I want and what I need. What I want and what I need. What I want and what I need. Half the times, if we got what we wanted, it will destroy us. It will break us down. Do you know that the children of Israel... God came down with Moses. Moses wasn't dead that day. And when they saw Moses, but God went on to have mercy on them for worshiping other gods. God proved himself to them. That's what later we read in Exodus 33. Moses, he said, God, if you don't leave from this place, then we don't want to go. And what distinguishes us is that your presence is with us. Moses and the people were trying to get it, try to get it. But later on, they become God's people. He brings them years later into a promised land, too much history to go into. But they get there, and God wants to establish them as his people. And the distinguishing factor that separated them as a nation from the rest of the world, the people, the nations of the world, was God's presence. It wasn't who was in charge in Israel. It wasn't who was, it wasn't the person. Now, there needs to be a system. We understand that. But it was never about the person, the single person leading them. And God had lifted up prophets with the nation of Israel. The Bible speaks about a prophet named Samuel. You guys remember Samuel? His mother Hannah prayed for a child, and God blessed 
her with a child. She couldn't. She was barren. And she said, God, you bless me with this child. I'm going to give him back to you. She would bring, she would nurse him. She would nurse him and then she would bring him to the, to the temple. She did that until eventually he stood. He stood at the temple to serve God, to worship God. And as a young boy, he heard the voice of the Lord. God spoke to Samuel from a young age. And then Samuel became part of the system that God was using for the nation of Israel to be connected with God. So I want to read something from 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we'll start closing. Samuel is now older. He has had his own sons, and um, they didn't do well. They didn't honor God. They didn't worship God. So even though Samuel honored the Lord and worshiped God only, he was a prophet. His sons didn't follow in his footsteps. And so now Samuel's at his old age. And look at what the people are looking for. You ready? We're almost there. Hang on tight. You guys are hanging on? All right, good. I try to be loud so you guys stay with me. <laughs> We're almost done. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now look at this. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Now why is this significant? Why is this important? Why am I reading this to you? Because at this time, never was there a king over Israel. Never anyone sat at that seat. God did not appoint a king over Israel. God did not have a seat for a king of Israel. Who was their king? God himself was their king. Because he was the only one that was to be worshipped. And God did not want to put someone in a place that might cause the nation of Israel to stumble about their system of worship. God wanted to be their king. He was the distinguishing factor between them and the rest of the nations. They had his presence. God was already on their side. But now Samuel is coming to an old age and he's about to go and his sons don't follow in his footsteps. And the people say, we want a king just like everyone else. How sad is it, is it to have the thing that distinguishes you already, but you desire to have the same thing so that you can be common with everyone else? And they say, make us a king. Put someone to be a king. Now, later on, if you keep reading, we're not going to go into all of that. Later, Saul becomes the first king of Israel. I remember I've heard some messages about this. Well, you know, well, I, you know Samuel anointed Saul, and God put him there, and even oil. And a couple of times, Saul prophesied. So, 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 he, that's what God wanted, right? Because God anointed him with, through, through, through Samuel, and he even prophesied. But look, look, look how God responds. To Samuel, after the people demand for a king to be established, they said, Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Verse 6 But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Samuel wasn't happy about this. Why? Because he knew they already had the king of kings, they already had God on their side, they were already separated, distinguished, and now they want a king because all the other nations have kings. 
It says, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected, look, me as their king. They already have a king and they don't even know it. They already have someone worth worshiping, but they don't, they don't see it. It says, and they have done, it says this, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Verse 9, he says, you know what? So listen to them. Give them what they're looking for. Go ahead, just give them what they're looking for, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So you know what, Samuel? This is what they want. This is who they want to worship. This is what they want to worship. Go ahead, give them what they're looking for. But warn them. Warn them. Warn them if they worship that man. Warn them of what's going to happen to them. Warn them of the chaos. Warn them of the destruction that will take place as my people when they worship someone other than me. Today's a message of warning to us, and it begins with me, if we worship someone other than God in this place. If someone else becomes king, if something else becomes king, if our system of how we do church matters more to us than God who blessed us with a church. Here's the crazy thing that I noticed. So they wanted Saul to be king. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give them what they want. Look at this. You know, sometimes God will give you what you want. That's what you want? God will give you what you want and even try to bless it. And sometimes it don't work for you. What you mean? He allowed Samuel to anoint him as king. So the anointing oil even fell upon Saul. God said, you know what? I'll even help out your cheap worship system that you asked for. I'll allow him to prophesy too if you need him too. And even with all that help, even with all that oil dripping all over him, watch him still fail you. I pray that's not happening in our churches. That God is allowing us to anoint and God's allowing us to prophesy and we're still missing him. Only God can be worshipped. The place of true worship is where God is. So this is how I need to end this message. God, forgive me for worshipping you. God, forgive me for worshipping you. God, forgive me for worshipping the system that we created. God, forgive me for being that pastor that cared about that parking lot so much and cared about those flags so much and cared about how all this stuff looked in here for you. It's not, I'm not saying I got to hate you. I got to love you, but I can't worship you. So, God, today we renounce from worshiping people. I hope we can do that together. Now, this is maybe you haven't. This is not you. Thank you. 
Thank you. If you were the person that never worshiped the people, because I know it's because you worship correctly that God kept us. I can only take responsibility for myself, and as I have a platform, I can only share with you. But I pray that we're not the only church in this generation that renounces worshiping people. I don't want this church to grow because we worship people. I want this church to grow because we worship God. Now, you forgot to remind me. I told you I was closing, and I told you I was going to close, and you ain't remind me. Hey, Pastor, what happened to Acts 2 and that thing that stuck out? Okay. <laughs> Verse 47, Acts 2. Praising who? And favor with who? Praising who? And having favor with who? The people. When we worship God, have favor with the people, the Lord will add to the church those that are being saved. Hold on. I wonder if the church hasn't grown because we have praised and worshiped the people and have been satisfied with having favor with God. That's what God showed me. That's how it stuck out. The church will grow when we worship God and be in favor with the people. But we can't worship the people and just satisfy for being in favor with God. My church is not going to grow that way. Everything, they had gladness. They ate food together. They loved one another. They sold all of that. Favor with the people. But we can only praise and worship God. And when we have that in order, we'll see things happen here. Amen. Amen. I want to praise God. I want to worship God. I'm relieving myself from the burden of having to worship you. I don't know if any pastors of this church want to join me. Relieve me from the weight and the burden of worshiping people, Lord. I want to come in here thinking about you and honoring you, Lord God. You know the needs of the people. There are too many of them. Can you imagine if I thought about every single one of you specifically in preparing a sermon? This is not to say that I don't care what you have to, what, what, what you're doing, but I have to understand, God, that's where I see how much bigger you are than me. And this is where I say, God, I humbly thank you for even giving me a platform. And God, I'm so humbled that you would even call me a pastor right now. I need you. That when I speak, these people that I love and I care about so much, that you would, something of worth would come out of my mouth from you to them. And that they would know that you love them, that you die for them, that you are their God, you're their healer, you're their salvation, you're their deliverer. You, not me, not us. And that in your presence, things change. In his presence, things change. I started praying this this week as I was meditating. I know that the apostles, they would go around and they would lay hands on the sick and they would be healed. But there were times when people just stepped into the presence of those men and they were healed. They talk about people standing just around Peter. And they were healed just because they were in his shadow. 
So I want to tell you this. It was Peter's shadow that they saw, but it was God's presence that they were in. And so they weren't healed because it was Peter. They were healed because the Holy Spirit, the presence Peter learned to sit in that presence, and the apostles learned to sit in that presence, and they became like Moses. If you don't go, Father, then we're not going to go, and if your presence is here, this is where we're going to be. And so if people stepped into their presence, they were, those people were in the presence of God, and so things happened. I was praying this week that even if we don't lay hands today, that a miracle would happen for someone that was sitting in our seat, that deliverance would happen. By the power of Jesus' name, let me tell you right now, I don't care what demonic stronghold you have right now, lust, perversion, lies, greed, doubt, whatever it is, thoughts of suicide, depression, sickness, disease, things in your body, cancer, age, HIV, whatever diseases, all of them, we're going to put it all in one bucket right now. We're going to put it all in one bucket. Why can't we put it all in one bucket? Because it all came from one bucket. came from sin, death itself, hell rooted in darkness we're going to put it all in one bucket right now and then God gave us the power over sickness over disease, over infirmities over unclean spirits over demons, over sickness and disease he gave us this power and authority to use over the things of the enemy right now now I'm going to pray this God protect, bite, shield cover all of us right now and I'm going to ask for deliverance to take place in this building. Whatever you're bound by, whatever it is, I'm going to ask for God to free you by his presence. The name of Jesus above every other name. The name of Jesus that everything has to bow down to, even spirits. In Jesus Christ's name. Any sickness, whether it's a fever or sickness in your blood, in your body, all of it still... Here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, oh, when it's this, you need something else. He didn't say, oh, if, it, if it's a legion, then you got to go get brother Jesus. When it was the fever of Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus rebuked it. It was him. When he asked the boy who had the legions, what's your name? He said, legions. Jesus said, watch this, guys. Same name. Come out of him. And why do I have this confidence? Because we're a church that we pray and we're a church that we fast. We're already praying. We're already fasting. And that power belongs to Jesus Christ. So today, if you could just in reverence, just bow your head. God, this is your place. This is your house. This is your, it's your power. It's not ours. We're only authorized users of your power. You've given us authority to trample over scorpions. You've given us power over sickness and disease. You've given us power, Lord God, over darkness, over demons, Lord. I ask you to protect our children right now. Protect them by your Holy Spirit. As sickness leaves this room, as evil spirits, demonic forces leave this room, they're not allowed to jump into anyone else. They're not allowed to affect anyone else. We cover them right now in the name of Jesus. The young children, they belong to you, Lord. Right now, we ask you to forgive us of our sin, Lord. The sin that has opened the door for such oppression. I ask you, God, to forgive us for our actions, 
our bad habits of health that we've done to ourselves that have created sickness in our own body, yes, God, we'll take responsibility for that too. We'll take sickness and disease, Lord God, that, that is the work of the enemy. As that is real too, just like it attacked Job, Lord. And by the name of Jesus, I command that your sons and your daughters are freed by your name and made whole in their bodies by the name of Jesus. Because we are in your presence, Lord God. I pray as someone's walking out of here, they'll feel the change in their body. I pray as someone's walking out of here, Lord God, they'll feel the release, Lord God, of the burden, the oppression in their mind and in their spirit. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we trust you. And so, God, right now, we worship you. We worship you right now. We worship you. We give thanks to you. We give praise to you. Church, now, if you could just stand to your feet, I'm just going to allow just some moments of time for us just to worship God and praise God. Let us come into his house with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. However you know in your way right now, let's just give time. Let's just give time. Let's just give time for us to worship God, to praise God. If God's been good to you, if, if you love God, if, if he is your father, if, if he's been good to you, if he's, he's carried you, if he's protected you, if you're grateful that you had a grandmother or a mother or a great-great-grandfather that, that prayed for you and that's why you got favor and you understand it, why don't you give thanks to God right now? What would happen if the church praised God and had favor with the people. What could God do in an atmosphere if we just praised him and lifted up his name and declared him king and made him higher than us? And God, forgive us for worshiping people. God, forgive us for worshiping ourselves. Forgive us for worshiping the system of church, Lord God. We renounce it, Lord God. Forgive us of our sin. You are king. You are our king. You are your king. You are our king. You are God. There's nothing higher than you. There's nothing above you, Lord God. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth you are the first and you are the last lord god there is no one like you there's 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 no one like you you're far above us you're far above us you're far above us you know all things and you know at all times lord god you're with me and and you're with them lord god and you you see me at my worst and you see me at my best lord god and you still call me your son you still call us your daughters lord god oh we worship you lord we worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank you for finding purpose, Lord. Thank you for seeing fit to use us, Lord God. We didn't deserve any of it. We didn't deserve any of it. We didn't deserve any of it. I didn't deserve any of it. I didn't deserve any of it, Lord God. Even my righteousness falls short of your glory. Even our righteousness falls short of our glory. And so we worship you and you alone, Lord God. Let this be a house of worship and where things happen in your presence. Oh, thank you for, for allowing us to sit in your presence, Lord God. Thank you for allowing us to sit in your presence, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to sit in your presence, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to sit in your presence, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that you let me come in to your presence today. You let me come in, Lord God. You didn't cast me out. You didn't keep me out. You didn't, 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 didn't put a restriction on me, but you allowed me to come. You allowed me to come. You allowed me to come. Let them know that they can come. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how close or how far they feel from you. You're near to them. You're near to them. You're near to them. And God, so I pray that salvation takes place right now. Salvation. Salvation is 
the greatest gift that God has given to humanity. There's no other gift like it. There's no other gift like it. The reason why it's the greatest gift, because salvation in Christ literally saves us from eternal condemnation from hell. This is what all humanity has to admit, understand. There's no works that you can do in your own power to save you. You can't be that I'm just a good person. Even our thoughts alone that we didn't act upon in comparison to who God is, in comparison to who God is, even the thoughts take us out of the righteousness of God. And so the Bible says this, that we're all born in sin. The Bible tells us this, that we've all been born in sin. The Bible says we've been shaped in iniquity, which if we're really honest, as we grew up in life, no one really had to teach us to be bad. No one had to teach us to steal. No one had to teach us to lie. That's because we've been born into a fallen state of humanity. And as good as we are on the outside, there's some rotten things on us on the inside. And God, when he looks at us, he doesn't look at us how we look at people. We only see what people show us. People only see what we show them, and people only know what we tell them. They're not aware of internal struggles. They're not aware of internal fears. They're not aware of internal doubts. Many of us carry ourselves good on the outside, but inside are broken, lost, confused. And sometimes that strong character that we have and the I got it going on is really just a, a, a way of, 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 of bringing peace to yourself of something that's collapsing on the inside. And so God sees our brokenness. God sees our hurt. God sees our confusion. God sees our fears. God knows our struggles, our weaknesses, all of it. Only God. The man of God can't even perceive that unless God showed them. But this is why salvation is the greatest gift. Because God, seeing that, seeing broken humanity, says, I still love them so much. I still love you so much. But here's the thing. He's not a God that looks at you and pities you for your brokenness. He's a God that says, I see you in your brokenness. I love you in your brokenness. But I have found a way. I found a way to reach you in your brokenness. I found a way to save you from your brokenness. I found a way to restore you from your brokenness. And I have the power to heal you from your brokenness. And so all it begins, here's this is how it begins. With you acknowledging that Christ died for you and your sins. Why do I got to acknowledge that? Because all that brokenness that we have in our lives was birthed from sin itself. Sickness, disease, bro that all came because of sin. That's how it came into the world. So that's why to be saved, you have to acknowledge that Jesus died for sin. And I acknowledge now that Christ died for my sin. Wow, he was that powerful. He died for the sins of the world, people before me and after me. Yes, just God, no one else. Just God did that through Jesus. 
And so when I accept him, I then I'm able to receive his forgiveness. So this is what you got to understand about the cross. The cross was a punishment that the Romans put on Jesus through the influence of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. The Roman government put him there. They just, okay, that, you guys want us to kill him? Fine, okay. But that's what the earthly system was doing. What the heavenly system was doing was this. God, the Bible says this, his, he was becoming sin for us. He became our sin. God became our sin. He carried the weight of our sin on him. And so what God did was this. Why? The Bible says this, that the price for sin is death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So God said, okay, Jesus, while he was on that cross, he was carrying the weight of everyone's sin of the world on him there. But he was also thinking of you and I. Do you ever think about that? When he was on the cross, Jesus was able to see my face, your face, your face, all of ours. He was able to see our whole entire life. What we did, what we thought, the wrong, the wrong thoughts, the wrong actions. And that all came upon him. And then God said, because it was God's word, the penalty of sin is death. His son died. But that means then Jesus paid for your sin. So that's why God doesn't condemn us. He, he, he provided a way because Jesus paid for it. He's not going to make you and I pay for what Jesus already paid for. And he says, this is now my gift to you. My son paid for it. You don't. You just need to accept what my son did. You cannot reject my son Jesus because you are rejecting the forgiveness of your very own sin from me to you. And so when you accept it, you are saved. So today, if there's someone in here, I'm not asking you to accept religion or the spiritual worship system of our churches. They're so flawed, especially in today's world. I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to receive God in your heart through Jesus Christ. He has paid for your sins. It's a gift. It's a gift. He's not taking anything from you. He's only giving you life. It's to pay for that sin. And then the crazy thing is he doesn't stop there. Because now in him, he didn't just die on that cross. My man Jesus kicked open the tombstone and rose up in power and said, guess what? I ain't dead either. And then the Bible tells us this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. And so it's your right to be made whole. It's your right to believe. It's your right to have hope that God can heal you, that God can forgive you, that God can restore you. It's your God-given right. And this is why I said earlier, he's a good father. He is for you, not against you. The only thing that you should ever feel in church, beside God's grace and his mercy and his love, is conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It's, conviction is really to bring awareness of your state of being. And so if you're wrong, then the Holy Spirit wants to bring you awareness to that state of being. Why? So that you can say, I, I need something more than me. And come to the understanding that it's God. You should never feel condemnation. You should never feel condemnation. Conviction, yes. Condemnation. Condemnation is a sentence. It's a sentence 
of, of, of condemning. It's, 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 it's harsh. There's no mercy in that. It's straight. No, you should not feel condemnation. The Bible says this. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that. I didn't say that. The Bible said it. So if you're saying, no, no, we got to condemn them. No, no. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Today, we're not condemning you. We're praying that the Holy Spirit convicts you, which will just show you your place. And so if you don't know God, I pray there's a conviction for you to receive Jesus. And for those of us that are already saved, that then there'll be a conviction from the Holy Spirit to show us our place and where I need forgiving, where, where I need to ask God to, for restoration, where, where I need to get myself together. Is that okay? Let us pray. If you never accepted Jesus, the Bible says by grace we are saved. It's a gift from God. I'm going to invite you just to lead you into a prayer. Say, God, you see me, you know me. I heard the message of your son Jesus today. I ask you without shame, without guilt, I just ask you with the understanding to forgive my sin. Forgive me of my sin in action. Forgive me of my thought. I accept the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Now I ask you, God, to make me new, to restore me, to heal me, to deliver me, to grow me, to mature me. God, give me a desire to know you. Give me a desire to be in your presence. Give me a desire to come to church, not to worship people, not to worship myself, but to worship you. God, you already know my needs, even before I pray, because your word says so. So give me a spirit of worship and a spirit of trust in you. Today I am saved. Today I am new. In Jesus' name. Give God a round of applause. I celebrate everyone who's prayed that prayer today. And today, if you're already saved, I pray that this is a, a continuous prayer in your heart. God, you know me. Forgive me of my sin. Search my heart. Restore me. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I love you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for pushing through and and not saying it's 12 o'clock, we got to go. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. I love you.